What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to The X-Files, Stories of Life After God. This special feature of the Life After God podcast explores stories of diverse people who have left the faith and religion they grew up with. In each episode, individuals will share in their own words how and why their worldview changed, the gains and losses associated with their religious and spiritual transition, the lessons they've learned in the process, and what their life is like now. To learn more about The X-Files and the Life After God podcast, please visit our website at lifeaftergod.org. Special thanks to Ian Gordon for the use of the theme music, The Truth Is Out There. If you would like to consider sharing your story in a future episode of The X-Files, please send a short email to ryan at lifeaftergod.org. Today on The X-Files, I speak to Matthew Faraday. Matthew and I have kept up a a two-and-a-half-year correspondence by email and over Facebook since he first wrote to me in November 2014 as I was coming to the close of my year without God. As he explained to me in that first email, he was on a similar journey on almost exactly the same timetable. We both concluded our year-long search for answers the next month. Matthew had undertaken his journey in the opposite direction to mine. He felt he had lost his faith after the birth of his daughter and spent a year making sure he wasn't wrong, looking for God through prayer and Bible study with friends who are steeped in the theological traditions of progressive Christianity. Today, Matthew is one of the moderators on the Life After God Facebook group, a secret, confidential group of almost 300 who are at various stages from the initial panic of doubting God's existence to convinced atheists who are trying to make a new life for themselves after God. If you follow along this spectrum, you can learn more about joining the Life After God Facebook group by writing to OurLifeAfterGod at gmail.com. Here's Matthew Faraday. I think one of the things that's kind of worth pointing out here is how closely uh like our kind of like deconversion process went um actually i ended up uh i was kind of questioning my faith um at almost exactly the same time that you were questioning yours so i reached out to you what halfway through your life without god journey so i yeah i reached out to you um via email and we just kind of connected uh ever since and kind of came up to the same conclusion at our uh end of our, you know, respective years without God. So it was uh, kind of stayed connected ever since. And uh, as you branched out, did your life without God, uh, um, uh, you know, project and website and all that other stuff, I kind of slowly faded into uh, an administrator on that. So that was, uh, that was pretty cool. So yeah, we've been kind of connected off and on ever since, but this is the first time I've ever spoken with you live. So yeah, it's, you know, that first email that you sent was really impactful to me. I mean, I had gotten a lot of emails from people. Um, and there was a collection of emails that were sort of loosely under the heading of, um, you know, I'm going through the same experience you are. Thanks so much for putting it out there. And, you know, yours certainly fell under that, but there was something about your email that felt really personal to me. I 
connected with it at a at a deeper level and uh yeah like you say we've stayed in touch um still haven't met in person but we will remedy that soon enough i suppose well um, you work at a brewery so it's just a matter of time before i head out that way so i like right. that yeah you are a, a <laughs> yeah an aficionado of the michigan craft beer scene right yeah, yeah, the best beer scene in the world. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's some. Uh, we we could have a podcast about beer. I guess that could be sure. Fun. Yeah, I'm I'm dogmatic about very few things, but Michigan beer is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dude, nobody's gonna be nobody's gonna get beheaded. Well, well yeah, I'm gonna say nobody's gonna get beheaded <laughs> over beer. I don't know, man. I don't know. We'll see. It we'll could happen. To, it could happen. So, yeah, I think one of the getting back to the email, I think one of the things that kind of uh, made us kind of connect a little bit, at least, you know, from my perception, was the fact that it both both my journey and your journey just seemed incredibly honest. Like, I'm just, you know, I, you know, I was just kind of like, wherever this ends up is wherever it ends up. I right. Mean, you know, I, I and I also think there was kind of I mean, there's always been a little bit of cynicism or whatever, which is kind of fun and healthy sometimes. But I think for the most part. You know, we kind of both had like good experiences growing up in the church. We both love, you know, our Christian friends and family and neighbors and stuff. So there was kind of less this like rebellion and more just kind of this honest, like, let's see where this goes. So I think that was kind of one thing I connected about you versus, you know, the a lot of the other kind of, uh, you know, atheistic, you know, kind of like websites and groups and stuff out there. I mean, they're all great and they're fun in their own respect and stuff, but I can only take so many memes, you know what I mean? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And the gloating, I mean, I feel like um, the gloating, I mean, I understand in part where it comes from, you know, when people are liberated from a harmful uh, place, they, you know, one way of responding to that is to sort of make fun of where they've been Um, because I I think it's also really easy to fall into a kind of self-loathing uh like how could i have fallen for such a dishonest or or simplistic view of the world and you just kind of feel bad that you ever were such a dupe you know or something (laughs) like that and so then you know you sort of reconcile that by sort of making fun of the other dupes you know or or something so (laughs) i never felt super bad about my time that i spent in christianity because I feel for the most part like it was also characterized by the same kind of pursuit of truth, honest pursuit of truth, which led me to change my theology as I went along. And then eventually my theology changed so much that there just wasn't any theology left. You know, it was just I had whittled. I've often said it was like, you know, being a young boy with a pocket knife and whittling on a piece of wood. And you try to get it just right until you've pretty much whittled it all down to like sawdust. You know, there's just nothing in your hand when you're done. So that process is fairly honest, I think, as well. Oh, absolutely. And that was kind of a little bit of my same experience as well is, uh, you know, you just kind of when when God doesn't show up and do something or reveal something or whatever, I mean, it just kind of just becomes like less and less and less important. Um, I'm a registered nurse and I've been a registered nurse for about maybe, man, going on almost nine years now, eight, nine years. Wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, every single time you, you pray over a, you know, patient to get better or, you know, help this CPR end up well and stuff like that. And then it just kind of, whether you pray or whether you forget to pray or, 
whether you prayed on the way to work or you forgot to or whatever, it just kind of all seems to turn out the same. Nothing changes. You know what I mean? There's no Was there moment a moment where you, where you sort of gave yourself subconsciously excuses for why that didn't work? And then suddenly <laughs> there was one experience. I'm, 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 I'm sort of fishing for a story here. Was, there, sure, was yeah. there a moment where it hit you like, oh, my gosh, it doesn't matter what I do? <laughs> um. Yeah, I, yeah, man, it's really hard to pin down one. I think so many things about like the deconversion process is it's not it, it's not like one exact moment where you're like, oh my gosh, this is all just like made up. Mm. It's kind of this slow little like chipping away and chipping yeah. away. I was having actually a conversation on the board with a another buddy that's a nurse, and uh, he went to Christian school like I did growing up, and uh, I just I I said something I was pre- I thought it was pretty funny. It was uh, you know Christian school will teach you all about a kind and loving God and your nursing degree will beat that idea right out of you. So, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you yeah, see people at their crisis moments. Absolutely. 100% of the time. And yeah, I mean, it's just as you kind of go on, you're just like, man, this is it. God is not here. Like, this, the what makes people get better or worse is just us, you know? Yeah. It's the amount of effort I put into this, you know? Uh, so, um, but as far as, you know, actually kind of like my moment, my story, uh, I grew up in the church and uh, just kind of a little bit of background. Yeah, I grew up in the church. I would, um, and I had, you know, pretty much a good experience there. Um, the church that I went to in my childhood broke up after a while, um, you know, because a youth pastor couldn't keep his hands to himself. But I think that's kind of a common story a little right, bit. So yeah. Branched off and then kind of just uh, went to a couple different churches. And um, man, actually probably probably like five or six over the course of like maybe 15 years and um just kind of got like really kind of more interested in some of like the uh you know like the c.s lewis type things and you know just kind of like a little bit more reading Mm. um uh but i i guess the the thing that i kind of noticed maybe was going to so many different churches is everyone just kind of had a different idea of what was right like what the good life should look like what we ought to be Mm -hmm. and uh it wasn't until i had my daughter um and she was about maybe you know, like four or five months old. And I was just kind of like laying in bed awake, you know, waiting for my alarm to go off to get up for my shift. And I started thinking to myself, I'm responsible for telling her what's right and what's wrong, you know? And I'm responsible for, responsible to communicate God's will to her. And how well do I know God's will myself? And mm. that's kind of the thing that launched me into this whole like, you know, apologetics, counter-apologetics exploration. And one thing that I thought was always kind of interesting is we have uh, with apologetics, it's always about kind of proving or disproving this like nebulous God, you know, this like prime mover or, you know, this <laughs> – and nobody actually believes in that prime mover exclusively. It's always – we, you know, like um, – uh, theists, and when I was a theist, we believed that there is a God, and God has intention. He has a will. He has, you know, he has something he wants to communicate to us. An agenda, even. An agenda, absolutely. And um, so for me, it was kind of like I'm supposed to teach a moral code to, you know, a tiny little blank slate in a uh, crib next to me, and I'm not exactly convinced of what that is, you well, know, and. Yeah. Because I've because I've, I've never had that effectively communicated to me, and so that's that's kind of been my my aha movement, I guess. Is um, the the next question is is like why why hasn't that been effectively communicated? You know, if if we're held to a certain standard, you know, God's will, we're held to a certain standard. Um, isn't it like kind of super important that this God communicate that standard really effectively? Like we're all on the same page. Like we're all like okay. 
it is wrong to kill in this scenario. You know what I mean? Or it's wrong to steal in this scenario. But instead, it's just kind of like this vagaries. And whenever I try to get to the bottom of that by asking, you know, theists and stuff about just kind of like different moral codes, it became even more vague. It was like, well, God wants us to love. Right. You know, and it's, it's not like clearly defined. And if we're held to the standard, I kind of feel like it should be. So. Yeah. And it always ends up looking an awful lot like human Humanism? beings figuring yeah. it out as they go along. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> or, you you know, the people that do feel like they have God's will really figured out and they can explain it to you, it always pretty much matches what they were raised believing politically, economically. It, it's always a mirror image of their culture and their worldview. You never, you know, you almost never find, like, someone who was raised, um, say, in the Midwest in the United States who has a conversion experience and then they tell that story of their conversion experience and it was like Vishnu that spoke to them. <laughs> you know, it was it's always Absolutely. the Jesus that is taught by the culture around them, you know. It's it's like it's so it, it seems like those people that are pretty sure they've got God's will figured out it kind of it's sort of it's sort of like uh, what Anne Lamott says, you know, that you know you've made God in your own image when he likes all the same people you like and hates all the same people you hate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was that moment. Yeah, absolutely. When you kind of stand back, you're like, oh, man, God is like super into the same stuff I'm into. Like, <laughs> exactly the same way I do. Right. I was like, oh, maybe it's just kind of me talking to myself. So, right. Yeah, God yeah. wants us to win the war, you know, against these, you know, evil hordes of, you know, whoever else on the other side. Oh, absolutely. And that, that's kind of it for me is like, you know, I know a lot of people get hung up on the problem of evil, which was maybe a little bit of a component. But for me, it was more divine hiddenness. Um, you know, when you think about it, it's like, okay, if there is a God and he wants you to know that he exists all the time um, and he has the power to communicate that to you, um, that God doesn't exist. Right. Because you don't believe that he exists. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost kind of like this. I, I don't believe that that God exists, so that God can't exist, you know? And so every step back from that point is kind of like a like an excuse or an apologetic that has to be layered on. Like, well, you know, you you might believe that he exists, but uh, but you've been suppressing it. Well, if I've been suppressing it, that I don't believe that he exists. You know what I mean? So every mm. step out from that layer is like an excuse where you kind of like have to add on why that God has a good reason for not revealing himself to you, that sort of thing. And I just don't see any good reason to think that. Um, according to, you know, maybe the tradition I grew up in, you know, God, he doesn't want religion, he wants a relationship. And I would say, at very least, the cornerstone of any relationship is knowing that the other thing exists. You know what I mean? Right, and has made <laughs> their, made an advance of some sort, you know? Thanks. like. And I, and I get that all metaphors break apart and, and are useless at some point, but this sure. relationship metaphor is not good at any point, really. Like, I don't, you know, I get that, oh, okay, you're pushing, maybe you're pushing the relationship metaphor too far. But I would say, no, like, no relationship that I'm aware of anywhere in the world operates this way. So pick no. a, So at least pick a different metaphor. I cannot understand. Like, people, when I did Year Without God... They start. They said, oh, that's silly. That's like, you know, saying I'm going to take a year without my spouse and then see how our relationship looks at the end of the year. Of course, <laughs> it's going to be bad because you've taken a year without your spouse. And, you know, my response is, no, I have plenty of actual evidence that my spouse exists. We talk. Sure. We, we've had experiences. We made memories together. Like, I know 
if I yeah. if I take for granted that I'm real, then yeah. then she has to be real as yeah. well. And yeah. so at that point, it's a completely different story. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And that you know that's kind of the the thing that I've I've kind of found in like my little like study there is that uh, apologetics run on equivocation fallacy. It's like equivocation fallacy and um, oh, what's it called? Argument from ignorance. It's like almost. Every single apologetic I found can be just kind of reduced to that. The idea of equating like, you know, a relationship with God with a relationship with your spouse. It's like that weird equivocation where it's like, no, guys, we're not talking about the same thing. Like, you know, we (laughs) – I don't even know what this God wants out of me. Like he's never effectively – he or she has never effectively communicated it. So, yeah. um, yeah. (laughs) Matt Dillahunty was the first person that really drove that point home to me as I was beginning – my year without God, I was at a conference in Salt Lake City where he was also uh, teaching there. And, um, you know, he, he started talking about the Bible and he was um, on his way to being a pastor and had, had studied theology professionally. And, you know, he said, you know, the Bible is pretty clear about some things, you know, that, sure. for example, if you, you know, impregnate a woman that you're not married to that, you know, that you need to. Uh, marry her, even if it's rape, you know, or that if you have slaves that you need to treat them in a particular way, like the, or that you shouldn't mix, you know, fibers in your clothing, you know, cotton with wool, or that you shouldn't, you know, cook food, uh, meat and, and milk from this, from that animal, you know, together in the same dish or even in the same dishes, you know, so the Bible is quite clear about some yeah. things. It's just, a bunch of really odd things that it's clear about <laughs> and things that we in the modern, as we said before, yeah. like humanist worldview, we would take as yeah. absolutes is, is in as much as such a thing exists at all. Um, you know, are the Bible's very vague about, uh, yeah, like the biggest one, what must I do to be saved? I mean, you know, you go to 10 different churches, you can get 10 different answers. I mean, uh, that it's incredibly vague about like the biggest question in it. You know right. I mean? If you ask James, you know, there's an element of good works that's a part of your salvation. If you ask sure. Paul, you know, Paul says no, like that no one can boast. You're, you're saved by grace alone so that no one yeah. can boast, you know. So, you know, the Bible itself gives different answers to the oh, most yeah. basic Christian question. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like uh, for me, it was all those thoughts were kind of spinning through my mind as I'm just kind of like, you know, I've got a little kid to teach this. And for me, that's kind of what kind of what pulled me away was, you know, how should I teach my child to live? And, you know, instead it was kind of funny because after I, you know, kind of went through this whole like deconversion process where, you know, you kind of like, you know, a little bit depressed, a little bit angry, like can't consume enough knowledge. And then, you know, just kind of like resigned to just like, hey, this is life. Let's move on. Um, I kind of feel like not that much has changed. Like at the end of the day, just kind of like looking back. I thought things would be a lot different, but they're kind of not. I'm kind of like the same guy. You know yeah, what I mean? That's I love a really patients. interesting discovery, yeah. isn't it? It really is. I have like the same, like, you know, moral compass and stuff like that. You know, um, I have the same, uh, you know, drive to kind of like help people and, you know, for my family and stuff and kind of nothing has really changed as far as that goes. But actually there was one thing that kind of really changed, which I didn't expect, um, is I just became very aware of privilege. Like I'm acutely aware of it at this point. Hmm. And I think I've been so blinded to it the fast, uh, the past because, um, I kind of check off all the boxes, like white, straight, 
middle class, and then at the time, Christian. So I'm like, yeah, 100%. Like, I'm like privileged 10 out of 10, you know? Right. And I never realized it, you know? Uh, I just kind of thought, you know, this is just kind of how everyone's experience is. It's the normal for you, for every, you know? It's the norm, yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't until I, uh, it wasn't until like I, you know, became an non-theist and I heard people, you know, dog and like atheists and they have no moral compass. I'm like, geez, they don't even know me. I'm a nice guy. <laughs> and then that's when it hit me. I was like, oh, I get it. Mm. You know, it was this very, very slight loss of privilege where I was just like, oh, this is, this is how minority groups feel. Right. I mean, you know, for me, it's, it's a lot different because I can hide my atheism and I do, you know what I mean? I don't go around wearing a t-shirt or telling everyone I'm an atheist. So right. it's easy to blend in, but it just gave me a little bit of a glimpse into just like, ah, I get it. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I think for people in our status, you know, straight, white, middle-class, highly yeah. educated men, it, it requires some or, crack know, water, in the armor. Water my case <laughs> well i mean but, you have a professional degree and yeah you're you're a smart guy <laughs> but it takes a little crack in the armor you know to yeah. to actually or the, you know in this case in your worldview to you know allow a little light from another world to, yeah. to creep in and you realize man i've been living in a bubble and inside the bubble yep. you know my worldview makes sense but you know the sad part of it is that only a few people live inside that bubble. There's a whole host of people yeah. outside of it that their normal is quite different. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, you and I kind of touched about this uh, offline, but like, you know, for me, it's like kind of the excitement of like this whole like life after God thing is we get the ability to discover that, you know, we don't have to place this kind of like um, uh, theology over top of that experience that I just had. We get to say like, this is reality. How can we all make it better together? And so, um, you know, just to kind of like transition and just kind of the stuff that you've been doing on the Life After God website and stuff like that. And um, some of the people you've had conversations with is it's just kind of, you know, I, I kind of get excited about. It, it, well, it was kind of said to like drop the theology and drop the God and stuff like that, and drop the theism. But at the same time, it's just kind of like exciting because you get to see things for what they are and you don't have to develop a theology around that. So mm. it kind of gave me the idea to say, this is somebody's experience and, you know, um, try to understand that a little bit better and, uh, um, you know, like, uh, be, uh, be open to discovery, I guess. Yeah. I don't know if I said that really well or whatever, but, um, I. Yeah, it's it. Well, in my it, case, as a fundamentalist, I mean, there yeah. were topics that were off limits completely. Oh, for sure. I mean, there was nobody standing with a gun to my head saying, "Don't you dare <laughs> like investigate, uh, you know, evolution," for example. But, but it was kind of like that's you know, in my mind, I thought, okay, I kind of think you know, as a smart modern person, that <laughs> the scientists are probably right about this. Sure. But if I go down that road. That's going to lead me nowhere good. Like I'm, because then I'm going to just have more cognitive dissonance and I'm going to have to explain it to my congregation. And it better for me just to kind of back burner that question than to really take it all the way. Um, yeah. So I could then, like, like you sort of hide your atheism. You don't wear it on your sleeve. Like I just sort oh. of didn't wear my sort of suspected, you know, belief in evolution on my sleeve. I just sort of had it in the back of my mind. I would watch, you know, the daily show and John Stewart or somebody was making fun of, you know, creationists. And I'm like, Oh, he's talking about us. And, uh, <laughs> I kind of agree with John Stewart on this one, you know, like, I, you know, I agree with him about everything else. And then he, you know, yeah. um, 
um, you know, makes fun of religion and I'm like, oh, that hurts a little bit, but I kind of agree with him, but I can't really say I agree with him. So, you know, that kind of thing is gone now. You can really take your pursuit of knowledge anywhere you want to go. And I think people that haven't been raised with a strict religion in their life, you know, hear that kind of thing and they're like, I mean, of course you could learn whatever you want to learn. Like, isn't that obvious? And I don't think it necessarily is obvious for people who have been raised in fundamentalism where certain things, I mean, I was taught, I didn't follow this, but I many times in my growing up experience had people say, the only book that you should really spend time reading is the Bible. Yeah. That's the only book you really need. Now they didn't actually mean that because they probably read other books too, but that was the rhetoric. Yeah. Could you imagine if that was the only book you've ever read? I mean, uh, have you gone? Have you gone back and read the Bible since you've been a non-believer? Am Only right? in little bits. I haven't, honestly. I should do gotcha. that. It's it's kind of crazy town. Like, I mean, yeah, there's like the bits at the end that we spoke mostly about in church. You know, the uh, you know the gospels and stuff like that. But it's kind of nuts for a little while there. And I kind of I I don't know if I just push those stories out of my mind as a believer, or I didn't really focus on them, but there's some really crazy stories in there. And the Bible doesn't make sense. Like as like a narrative, it's super uneven. Um, you know, the, the main, you know, kind of protagonist of the story, God is kind of odd. It doesn't line up. It almost- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He has like a mental breakdown right around, you know, <laughs> the end of the old Testament, right. And like develops yeah. a split personality or something. Because, you know, for me, it's like, you know, if you just read like the New Testament and, you know, you accept other people's understanding of it, you kind of get the whole God is love thing. And then you kind of like read parts of the Old Testament, like God asks, uh, you know, probably a schizophrenic to chain himself to the ground and then cook bread made out of his own poop and then yell at people that pass by about the fall of Israel. And you're like, wow, man, that is uneven. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, what's interesting, too, is that I think it's like confirmation bias is is yeah. such a you know thing that I've I'm now aware of uh, in my own <laughs> life more and I remember like people saying the god of the old testament is so you know harsh and cruel and I would say no no look there's this one verse in Isaiah where Isaiah says um you know that god has compassion to all people or someone would say basically you know the bible is a um, identitarian, you know, Jewish God, you know, privileging the Jewish people, um, kind of a warrior God, uh, protecting the Jewish people from outside, you know, influences and that kind of thing. And I'd say, no, 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 look, there's this text in Isaiah that says God is a God for all the nations. But it yeah. was, it was, now I see like the fact that that was, there's a, there is a thread through the Old Testament like that, but it's definitely that minority report. You know, it's not, yeah. you know, it's not the overall, sort of overarching view of the Old Testament. It, the view, to me, the overarching narrative of the Old Testament is that God chose uh, this minority group of people to be his chosen people and to hell with everyone else. And yeah. he's going to help, even though they're in a minority, he's going to help them win wars as long as they're obedient to him. And if they're not obedient to him, well, then, you know, I'm going to let you get run over by these people and you'll be, you know, driven into oblivion. Um, but because I'm like you know, a sort of a psychopathic lover, I can't ever truly let you go. I'm going to keep wooing you back and going through this cycle of like, I love you, no, I hate you. I love you, no, I hate you. And like, and, 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 you know, it's just like, whoa, this sounds like an abusive relationship to me. 
Yeah, it is incredibly odd. And that's kind of one of the things is, in, you know, in my, uh, in my journey, um, I ended up kind of spending some time talking with a lot of theists and kind of hashing stuff out. And the Bible was always brought up as like, oh, man, how can you say there is no God? Have you read this book? It's quite incredible. And so I kind of went back and, you know, I went through like, uh, you know, some of the old passages and stuff like that. And it's just kind of odd. I mean, it does have some good stuff in it. I'm not going to discount that. Um, but it seems to be kind of this kind of like generic, you know, kind of like sign of the times kind of movement towards like good ideas. So, you know, the whole, you know, the whole golden rule thing, I mean, that's, that was done hundreds of years before and probably better than when Jesus said it, you know? So I'm not going to discount the whole Bible, but it's just this uneven narrative. And I don't know really kind of what I was supposed to pull out of it. So it's, it's kind of a, it goes back to the whole like divine hiddenness thing is it's like, if God's not here to clear this thing up and tell us what we're supposed to focus on, it seems like an uneven book of contradictions where it's, it's just open to interpretation. It's like a, it's like a Rorschach test for your own morality. And I mean, it's, you know, it's not that hard to believe that it lines up with whatever the modern idea of morality is. So to me, that seems like the greatest danger, like, you know, modern Christianity has, I I think in, in, in the case of like sort of Orthodox Islam, where there's this still this conviction that the text of the Quran is verbally given by Allah you know, there, there you have a much more verbally inspired tradition. And, you know, Christianity used to be much more that way. There's still plenty of, you know, Christians who believe that. But, you know, by and large, that kind of Rorschach version that you're describing, to me, this is the, its biggest liability in the sense that you can make God your ally in almost anything. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm actually reading a book right now in preparation for... Um, another interview that I'm going to do in a few days. Um, and it's more like American, the history of American politics and the way that fundamentalism allied itself with far right political ideology. You know, you can make God your ally in a far right, almost Nazi, you know, f- uh, fascist sort of sense. You yeah. can also make Jesus, hence God, your ally in a kind of leftist, um, you know, vision of the world being yeah. e- equal and, and, and a level playing field and, and generous and all the rest. And of course, I have my preference in all of that. And, and what I see is that I did the same thing as a pastor. I, I taught a Jesus and a God that was uh, a reflection of my political uh, aspirations yeah. for the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you uh, you were more uh, Jesus as like you know Jesus got as the social warrior and the the you know the person Liberator. out there. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, uh, you know, full disclosure, I'm kind of like more okay with that brand of Christianity as it's kind of like something we can kind of all work with. But at the same time, is it's. Uh, it almost kind of like falls into the, some of the same perils as almost the other side does, at least in like philosophical underpinnings, is that if you say that um, uh, the reason why an action is good is because Jesus said it, you're you're thrown into that confusion that you were talking about where you can kind of use whatever Jesus said, however the Bible pre- presents itself to – you know, be a Rorschach test for whatever your morals are versus the thing with humanism. I mean, again, it's not perfect, but we say whatever is good is good because it uh, it helps with human welfare and freedom and human freedom. Well, I mean, you even know? a couple of episodes ago, I had Andy Stanley on the program, the pastor yeah. of the largest church in the country. And one of his, you know, 
home run lines, takeaways from that episode was him saying that he's come to the conclusion that whatever's good for people is good for people. Like that's See, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean that's a kind of humanism. And if he wants to use his platform as a Christian to advance that kind of view of the world, then you know, sure. again, I'm like, I wish he would just not, but <laughs> but I'm happy that he's sees the world. At least he says he sees the world in that way. I have a lot of respect for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was uh, kind of an analogy I thought about recently. It's, I thought it was kind of funny. I am as of right now, I'm six months without having any like cigarettes or, you know, any sort of like form of nicotine patches or whatever. Right. And this is like the longest time I've been able to stay away from that sort of thing since I was probably 18. Oh, wow. Well, Congrats. Yeah. All right. So um, <laughs> we were talking about progressive Christians and I was kind of thinking about, you know, kind of like smoking and, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, uh, the health risks and that sort of thing. And it brought me to Sweden, actually. Sweden has a product called Snus and it's a, uh, a mouth tobacco. It goes through some extra refining process to help get rid of um, uh, some of the carcinogens that are found in it. Well, Swedish people, instead of smoking, ended up, you know, uh, using snus instead. It was a way to get their, you know, get their nicotine. And it had a fraction of the harmful, um, the harmful effects of smoking. It still had some cancer-causing stuff, but not as much as smoking. So um, as the Swedish people started switching over to this, like, version of mouth tobacco, basically, their um, uh, cancer rates started going down. They, they, you know, still had an increase of like pancreatic cancer and stuff like that right. from the snus, but not as much as the lung cancer from the smoking. Right. And for some reason, it made me think about progressive Christianity. And I know this is not a compliment, maybe a compliment <laughs> sandwich, but it is still slightly destructive, but it's, it's better. It's something that like we can work with. I'm not entirely convinced that whatever is in our brain that drives us towards religion is ever going to leave. And I'm, okay with dealing with the snus version of Christianity than the smoking version of Christianity, if that makes any sense. Yeah, so it you does. Anti- <laughs> kind of a bizarre analogy, but you get it. So when you have like this Andy Stanley standing up and saying like, hey, if it helps out people, then it's good for, then it advances the kingdom. I'm kind of like, yeah, okay. Yeah, we can, we can work with that. There's still some problems uh, with progressive Christianity, mainly that it puts the reason for the fall squarely on human shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, but it's still not as bad as the conservative version. It's it's something we can work with. Um, when you have liberal Christians that are standing up and fighting climate change and, uh, you know, fighting for, uh, you know, universal health care and that sort of thing, I'm like, yeah, great. I'm with these guys. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. It's just that you don't – I mean what what was hard for me in my last, I would say, 10 years of being a pastor, I would have called myself one of these emergent progressive – pastors and it it the challenge comes from the other side of christianity and you never really have a great answer for them sure. I mean, and what the truth is all religious people pick and choose we were talking about that just a minute ago um but the the i think the accusation of picking and choosing um sticks more successfully to the progressives um yeah. because there just is so much i don't know it's a lot of work it's a lot of um backbending and theologizing. In fact, to me, that is the definition of theology is to try to somehow make this ancient text comport with my um, humanist understanding of the modern world. And it's a lot of work. And then I finally just came to the point where like, I don't need to do that work. Yeah. Like when you know something is good 
um, and you're trying to justify it, like fighting for LBGTQ rights, and you're like, I know that this is a good thing, but I need to find somewhere in the scriptures to support this, and I'm going to have to ignore a lot. I'm going to have to kind of twist a lot to get where I want to be. Yeah. And at a certain point, you're just like, man, this is an extra layer I do not need. That was exactly the issue for me, yeah. Yeah. And you know what's kind of funny too is, um, you know, kind of like understanding like your story and where you came from. Um, I, you know, you were quite the social justice warrior and still are, but you know, in the church, and um, you kind of came from an extremely conservative tradition. I mean, yeah, for I, sure. I came from a conservative tradition, and when I heard your story, I was like, man, wow, Saturdays were quite the thing for you guys, huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and um, to to. To have you move so far from like one end to the other is just kind of amazing. And I think it speaks to just kind of like how we are as like as people. Like you are this person. Like this is who you are. You're you know you're progressive. You um, uh, want to fight for equality, and you've probably to some degree always been that person. And now that person can just kind of move forward. You know, you had to almost kind of like shed your dogmatic past and shed your theology to get to the point where you could just be like, okay, this is me. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, so, it could have happened a little faster though. Like I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just like shaking my head still. Like how <laughs> dense was I? I mean, I, and again, that sounds very pejorative to people who are still there. I mean, it's not like a density for me. I just, I wish I would have followed the clues more yeah. rapidly but part yeah. of what i inherited from my up religious upbringing was a kind of passive compliance and it there was a part of me that was like deliberately rebellious about certain things that i thought were wrong like when the church said we had to support proposition eight in california and i was like no we're not going to do that in fact since you said we have to support it we're going to now publicly oppose it um and and we did that there were, but there were other parts of me that were like, I don't know if I step outside this tradition, maybe I can make it work from inside. Plus, I had a lot yeah. of mentors who were saying, Ryan, we need your voice on the inside. We need your voice on the inside. And I said, well, all right, I'll give that another go. And then when I would be just about to give up, I would phone some people up and be like, tell me again why I should stay. And here's why, here's why. And okay, I, I guess I can go a little bit longer. And, you know, and then I finally was like, no, screw it. My health is suffering my relationships are suffering and i just don't want to be unhappy at this level i mean life is full of unhappiness of all sorts and i you know certainly shedding my faith was not a key to like blissful existence but uh it definitely gave me a sense of freedom and peace in a certain sort of like narrow range at least you know one of the things that a lot of people um ask about and struggle with as they come to terms with their unbelief. And, um, and, and I, I phrase it that way deliberately because I don't think people choose to not believe. In fact, people like me and so many others that have written to me have said, look, I tried my damnedest, you know, to stay in the church and to stay religious and love Jesus and all the rest that meant so much to me. And I just couldn't. So as people come to terms with their non-belief, um, it, it really affects their relationships, right? It has to. Their families, yeah. their, like you mentioned your daughter when your first child was born yeah. um, and how that's affected your thoughts about being a dad and what it meant to teach her about um, her moral responsibilities. And But there are more members of your family than just your daughter. Like you, you, have, you have a wife and you have parents and in-laws. And um, would you feel comfortable talking about how that's affected um, your, your choices about your faith have 
affected your other relationships? As far as um, my kind of like immediate relationships, um, uh, my wife is awesome and incredibly supportive. And um, she has uh, been a great kind of like partner to this journey. And um, we've had long nights where we just kind of like sit on the couch and just kind of like talk this stuff through and that sort of thing. So I'm not quite sure where she's at. Um, She, you know, might have her own podcast for you one of these days, but um, as as far as uh, how she's been to me, she's been extremely supportive and, uh, um, you know, always kind of like allowed me just kind of like room to like grow and explore. In fact, she's watching the kids right now so I could do this podcast. So she's always affording me that, which is awesome. Um, As far as my, a lot of my other family, they don't know. <laughs> so, okay, okay. Um, my my siblings, I've told, and uh, they've just kind of it's it's kind of more or less been kind of like a non-issue. Um, I have had some personal relationships that have really taken a hit from it, and I've also had some personal relationships that have really grown from it. Ooh, I've had tell me about a, that. <laughs> well, um, there's uh, some friends and family I have that are uh, non-religious and always kind of felt isolated. They were non-religious before I was. And now it's kind of something we like have together, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, if there's like a family prayer, you know, we can, you know, just kind of make eye contact during the prayer and have a little giggle about it afterwards. That sort of thing. It's kind of like solidarity. Sure. You know? and- <laughs> we get to kind of talk about uh, uh, talk about our experiences as far as relationships that kind of like um, took a hit. I had some you know friends that were uh, kind of like less enthusiastic about uh, uh, me dropping uh, my belief, and I was actually in a Bible study with them, so I kind of went to them and you know uh, you know started like talking about the you know some of my struggles and that sort of thing when I was beginning my you know my own personal journey without God. And uh, they, man, one thing that I never realized going into this journey is how quiet it gets from the other end. I think, I think there's this, I know everyone's experience is different, but I think there's this idea that like, Hey, if I tell people that I don't believe in God, you know, they are just going to like hound me. You know what I mean? And maybe that's some people's experience. Uh, Mine is just like deafening silence. Like nobody wanted to talk about it. People didn't want to meet with me. Nobody wanted to talk. You don't um, get invited to go out with that group of friends anymore. Like, isn't that no. true? I, my, my experience is very similar. Yeah, it's, it was odd. And you'd think, you know, being in a Bible study with these people, you know, you'd think like, oh, they'd try to like reach out and, you know, try to, you know, you help you along and like drive you back to the path. But instead it was just like all hands off. We're praying for you. You're on your own. I so. never had one person from the beginning of Year Without God in January of 2014 until now offer to sit down with me and say, you know, can I, can I ask you some questions about this? Can I share with you where I'm coming from in the hopes that maybe you would reconsider? I mean, I've definitely had Christians say they're pray for me. Um, I've definitely had Christians, uh, most of the, most of the time Christians I've never met just on the internet say that, you know, I was going to go to hell and, you know, they hope that I burned until I was crispy, you know, whatever. And, Um, you know, so those people don't bother me that much because I don't know who they are. You know, I don't have a personal relationship with them. But I, like you say, I've never had someone say like, hey, we've been good friends for so long. This is a big switch for you. Yeah. Um, could we sit down and, you know, really go over some things? Because I'm worried about you, frankly, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I had a, a friend kind of in um, one, one of the friends that I've kind of like lost contact with a little bit more, but kind of said like in a. I don't know if it was like just like a moment of like kind of like uh, like raw clarity or whatever. But he goes, you know, the problem with you is you're nice, you're smart, and you're not angry. <laughs> he goes, yeah. this is really tough for me. Yeah, that's 
you know, that's what he said. This is really tough for me because you're nice, you're smart, and you're not angry. That's honest. So, that's really great. That's the beginning right there. <laughs> uh, you know, it was kind of one of those things where I was like, hey, anytime you want to talk and, you know, never had anything since then. But, you know, and I, I think that that's probably one of the struggles that you have. I mean, you know, you're nice, you're smart, you're not angry. Yeah, yeah. There's kind of no real way to excuse your non-belief, you know? And right. I there's no simple way to dismiss it. No. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, it's hard to write a narrative around you. You know, Ryan Bell is no longer a Christian because, you know, it's hard to write that narrative. I don't know. He just decided he didn't need it one day. Well, that doesn't fit. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, one of my personal, you know, philosophies as I talk to my kids and other adults in my life, and as I think about the choices that I make, it's a very simple thing, but it's, it bears reminding oneself that life is full of trade-offs. We can't have everything all the time. Even the wealthiest person in the world has to accept trade-offs in life, you know? Like you can't have everything. And so I think, you know, for some people the cognitive dissonance or the haunting of their doubts in their mind is just not great enough to trade um the solidarity, the community, the joy, the happiness that they feel inside of a particular community. And if they're lucky, they're inside of a particular community where their theology makes a certain kind of internal logical sense. You know, if you yeah. accept certain premises, that type of Christianity, as we were, you know, as we were talking before, like if you accept certain premises as true, then it works, right? And you can live in the modern world. And for some people, that that's enough for them, you know? And, and I don't mean that in a dim- dismissive or demeaning way, um, because yeah. I would never begrudge anyone their trade-offs. I mean, change the subject completely and put it in economic terms, right? So someone labors away at a job they really don't like, um, that's not really giving them any fulfillment, that's a little, you know, exhausting and demeaning to them. But the trade-off is that they get paid and they can take care of their family. I mean, far be it from me to judge their choice in that, you know what I mean? Like, that's their choice. And and um, we can think of other, you know, occupations that might be a little bit more controversial and, and, you know, people have difficult choices to make about what to do in their lives. And I have to believe that for the most part, people are doing the math and figuring out what's this going to cost me and trying to do the best they can. And just because I stepped away in a dramatic fashion from my faith, I mean, I, and and in fact, in fairness to everyone else and in like to, to knock myself kind of down a peg in some people's minds a little bit, you know, like I, I had already lost everything there was to lose by the time I started my year without God. You know, I'd lost my my job at the church. I'd lost my denominational appointment. I had, you know, already left, you know, stepped away from my marriage. Um, you know, I was kind of already at a place where I had made most of the sacrifices that I could make. And this one was sort of like the Jenga pieces that just came tumbling as my other things were pulled out. So... Um, you know, I, I think people are entitled to their choices, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Oh, absolutely. I think that it's really easy to see, you know, in my experience with, uh, be, uh, being an administrator on the life after God board is that there's like, there's no light between the social experience of religion and the religion itself. You know, the, the two are the same. So you have, you have people that on the board that have left Christianity, left the church, gone back to the church 
as you know non-believers because they want to reconnect with that social group and i get it and I, you know my experience actually kind of mirror your, mirrors yours on this is you know kind of at the point where i gave up religion i was kind of not really connected with a social church group there wasn't as much for me to give up so um I think when I kind of felt that cognitive dissonance become too big of a wave, I didn't see it through for 10 years for the kids or anything. I was just kind of like, yeah, well, I'm done. <laughs> so it was kind of, you know, it was kind of a different experience. But yeah, I can I can definitely see people being a part of like those, uh, you know, wanting to be a part of that social group and just kind of putting up with the, uh, the you know, the mental gymnastics to do it. So it kind of makes me think, you know, what our experience would have been is if we like, let's say grew up in the Episcopalian church or right. something, you know, yeah. would I have just kind of like saw it through even as a non-believer and just be like, yeah, I don't know. Music's great. People are awesome. Why not? Yeah, this but, reminds <laughs> me of this, you know, what I take to be just a, a truism that I, I have to remind myself of at times is that we're not as rational as we like to think and that we ra- we like to think that we think our way into new ways of behaving. And I, and I think yeah. we, we definitely do that. But we also behave our ways into new ways of thinking. And a lot of people find themselves alienated from religion, not going to church, not really with any like stake left in that community. And then they think about yeah. it and say, why am I in this place? What does it mean? And then post facto say, I guess I don't believe in that anymore. You know what I mean? Like that's that's a way of finding yourself yeah. as a non-believer versus someone who says I'm going to read all the books and listen to all the podcasts and watch all the YouTube videos and and then, you know, ask the jury of my neurons, you know, like what's the decision? And uh, and then they make a decision like it doesn't make any sense to me and I'll sacrifice all of these wonderful benefits I get from religion because yeah. it's not true. And I think both happen. I, I don't want to venture a guess at which is more predominant, but, you know, both happen. Yeah, it's, it kind of reminds me of Heights Rider and the Elephant uh, kind of analogy, you know. Uh-huh. That- that elephant's just going to keep plodding on and, you know, the rider's going to kind of be able to maneuver it a little bit and uh, maybe after the fact uh, rationalize it. But, you know, we're li- we're driven so much by like our, you know, our passions and our emotions and I get it. And you're right. I mean, you know, you kind of find yourself in that place where maybe you can make that decision. I think about like, you know, uh, people that rely on the church for maybe uh, not just social support, but maybe some financial assistance or whatever. Sure. I mean, those people are in a much different place. I mean, you know, those those people are not going to maybe be as open to, you know, uh, you know, exploring their theology since their theology is so useful to them, you know, because it provides that social network. So, yeah. And there's some cultural, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I think of the black church, you know, as a, a very, um, like tight knit network of social support that's different than sort of the atomized individualistic approach to Christianity that traditionally oh, white churches have taken. So, I mean, all of these factors are hugely important. Women and their uh, approach to Christianity is different than men. You know, the, Christianity has favored men in in probably a more profound way than the culture has. So, you know, for women, you know, talking to some women about the church, man, the, the church narrative the religious christian narrative in america never was really great for women to begin with you know for 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 men it's like oh there's a little bit more to give up some privilege that you talked about before you know for women like that privilege was never the same for them anyway um so everybody has a unique scorecard of factors that they're weighing (laughs) as they think about like does this work doesn't it work why does it work or not work 
and which, yeah. you know, the truthfulness, like the factual truthfulness of the claims of Christianity are but one factor um, on that scorecard. And, and people have a lot of decisions, heavy decisions to make. Absolutely. Everyone's pro con list looks a little bit different, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Well, what do you yes. um, tell us a little bit more about you as a person? What do you like to do? Yeah, well, um, I am a registered nurse and I love uh, bike riding. So um, did a little bit of bike advocacy for the past couple of years, you know, um, advocated for some bike lanes and actually did some advocacy through my hospital, which is right now a um, silver level, I'm sorry, bronze level um, American um, uh, Cyclist Association member because of some of the advancements I made. So that's kind of like my passion is, you know, biking and you know, uh, being a nurse, but also I'm a father to two young kids. Uh, my daughter's three and my son is 10 months old now oh, wow. and they are adorable and they keep me busy. I'll so. bet. Yeah. You're, you, uh, <laughs> and you said earlier that your, uh, your family's been going through, uh, cyclical experiences of, of the flu. So, oh gosh, I wish, you know, next time one person gets the flu, we're all coughing on each other because I, I would rather have just two days of everybody vomiting than just like this whole month of just stretched out. You know, we got, uh, we got this two or three days of everyone being healthy and then just now my daughter's got it. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I know. Tell me about it. I but, was, uh, uh, I, I was a child before the chickenpox vaccine. Yeah. And, um, that's what a lot of families did. You know, when one kid got the chicken pox, they all yep. just drank out of the same glass, ate off the same <laughs> fork. And it's like, we're going to get this all done right now. My, my, my mom put us all in the same bathtub to get it out of the way. So yeah, I think our childhoods yep. looked a little more like, yep, I like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I got, I, I have a couple young kids and uh, do a bit of bike racing and uh, commute to work, bike riding and stuff. And that's just, you know, it, as far as uh, kind of like post theistic spirituality, I think for me, biking is kind of it. I've had the most uh, amazing spiritual experiences just riding a bicycle. It is just so much fun. You just kind of turn off the outside world by going outside and just, you know, the only thing you need to think about is putting one leg in front of the other and just, you know, just enjoying it. And uh, for me, that's always been my time of like kind of quiet contemplation, uh, mm. kind of like my time to, you know, in a sense, pray. Yeah. Which I think is really kind of helpful for, you know, uh, you know, us like uh, post theistic people is to, you know, understand that, you know, prayer and contemplation, I mean, those, those come out from some very, you know, basic human needs. And I think we need, they're better served by just finding new ways to address them instead of just abandoning them and say, you know, I don't pray anymore, you know? Yeah. No, that's really good. <laughs> I miss uh, living in Pennsylvania for, for the wide open, like, roads that don't have that many cars on them yeah. uh when i was a more avid cycler myself that sounds beautiful oh it's amazing it's amazing do you ever do any racing i never i mean i did triathlons so i you know in a sense i was racing uh in triathlons um i was never competitive if that's what you mean <laughs> i was never i was always competing against myself or against my age group and i um I mean, I thought I did well and I could always improve my time, which yeah. I always appreciated, you know, being able to do that. And, um, I trained and, um, did one marathon and, uh, blew up my knee IT band issue. Oh. And I mean, it's fine. I didn't injure my knee permanently, but I, I definitely have an IT band thing going on there. So I took a break and then I moved to LA and then all of my routes and all of my, I mean, I think people who don't cycle long distance don't realize like, how far 50 miles can be. 
Like that's, that's, it's, you know, for me in LA to figure out where to ride my bike 50 miles, that's complicated. Like, how, yeah. where am I going to go? Um, you know, like it's like freeways and mountains, you know, and I've, you know, I was never a great climber. So, I mean, I was an okay climber, but I was not, I'm not going to go climb the San Gabriel mountains like some of my friends do. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. It's almost like, uh, you know, commuting or by bike or doing uh, cycling for fitness. You develop your own routes. It's almost like writing your own novel is, I mean, I don't know if I'd ever move because I got everything figured out where I live. Why would I move? You know, Yeah. I know what good roads are, the bad roads. I know what, I know what roads to take on a Sunday at 1 p.m. and which ones to avoid. I mean, you know, I've got all that figured out, so I can't move. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have to start writing a whole new novel, right? Exactly. <laughs> So that's pretty much it, man. Just biking as much as possible and uh, uh, taking care of two kids. And um, yeah, it's 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 really been um, awesome just to watch them grow. And um, it's been interesting to just kind of experience things, uh, you know, as a non-religious person. Um, I always thought when I had kids, I would, you know, take them to church and, you know, invest in them spiritually. And now, now I'm not. And it's just kind of interesting to see. Uh, just kind of their experiences and stuff like that and how they how they see the world, you know, without religion, without kind of like, you know, at least my daughter, without really a kind of a concept of God kind of um, in her and how her life is. So um, there was uh, actually an experience I had um, over Christmas um, that I thought I'd just kind of share as far as, uh, a, you know, kind of a cute story of my daughter. So my wife and I ended up taking a trip to Japan about maybe – well, it was before my daughter was born, maybe about three or four years before she was born. And um, we ended up visiting uh, Osaka Castle, which is like this big, gorgeous Japanese castle, and um, ended up buying an ornament for it. Now, one thing that the um, uh, Japanese people do is they have these ornaments, and you have like a bell on the bottom or whatever, and they have a uh, – it's kind of hard to describe – like a little packet on top, like a little pouch. And inside of the pouch, it's supposed to have a fortune. Okay. So – they, you know, somebody writes on the writes on a piece of paper and puts it inside of the pouch, and it has like your good fortune in it. Um, and uh, the pouch is sealed. And the thing is, is that you're not supposed to open up the pouch because if you look at what your fortune is, um, then it won't come true. So, <laughs> oh, this sounds familiar. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so anyway, uh, I had left that sealed for years, you know, not because I actually believed it, but because it was kind of like almost like a fun tradition, you know, oh, you don't open the sealed pouch because, you know, you don't want to see what your fortune is, right? So of course, my daughter wants to play with all of the ornaments. And uh, we were playing downstairs one day and she said, what's in, you know, what's inside of the pouch? And I, she was trying to open it up. I said, no, 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 we don't open that up. That one doesn't get open. And then I thought to myself, oh my gosh, this is how dogma starts. Like, this is it. <laughs> so I said, well, okay, well, you know what? Let's open it. Let's see what's inside together. And so I opened it up and uh, there was nothing. There's a blank piece of paper inside. Wow. <laughs> how funny is that? No writing, no nothing, just a blank piece of paper. So I guess they, probably assumed that nobody would ever open this thing so there's nothing inside <laughs> see this is a great illustration of divine hiddenness oh absolutely you know absolutely. B- because it's the answer usually is oh that's not for us to know yeah it's a mystery into which we shouldn't even look <laughs> you just yep. accept it <laughs> and then it was just kind of one of those things where I was looking down. I saw my three-year-old daughter, which is like brimming with like genuine curiosity. <laughs> oh my gosh, what's inside? It could be anything. Right. And I think the, you know, the dogmatic approach is to say, oh no, 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 we don't ask questions about that thing. <laughs> Instead of just encouraging this and just saying, 
hey, you know, let's let's see where it goes. Let's find out where it goes together. Let's explore this together, you know. And uh, it turned out to be a bit of a dud because she said it's just paper and threw it on the ground. But <laughs> <laughs> it's also a valuable it's, lesson. It's a valuable lesson. Exactly. So, yeah. So I'm learning new stuff every day from them just by watching them grow up. It's been it's been a ton of fun. Well, Matthew, this is fantastic. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to to talk to me on the show and oh hey thanks for having me it was a it was a blast it was great catching up with you let's uh let's not take three years to do it again all right i promise thank you for tuning in to this production of the x-files special thanks to matthew faraday for sharing his story today for his good humor and honesty and uh i just think general good example about how to navigate uh, a journey like this thanks so much matthew to learn more about Life After God and the X-Files, please visit our website at lifeaftergod.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Life After God. If you appreciate this show and would like to support us financially, you can find our Patreon page at patreon.com slash lifeaftergod. Thank you to everyone who so generously supports this show. Please tune in next week for the next episode of the Life After God podcast, my conversation with comedian and former cult member Brooke Arnold. Until then, I'm your host, Ryan Bell, and this has been The X-Files, Stories of Life After God.